Welcome to the Making Headway Podcast, a podcast for brain injury survivors by brain injury survivors, providing resources and camaraderie for anyone recovering from any type of brain injury, with your hosts, Aaron Martin and Mariah Morgan. Welcome to Making Headway Podcast. This is Aaron, And this is Mariah. And today, we might be having a little bit of a fangirl moment because we have with us Amy Zellmer, who, if you have not heard her name, you might be living under a rock at this point in the brain injury community. Amy has done so much for this community. She is the host of the Faces of TBI podcast. She's the editor-in-chief of the Brain Health magazine. She's the author of multiple books. She is the brain behind the scenes on a whole bunch of events and advocacy work and a wonderful person in general and a great voice for this community. So Amy, thank you so, so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So we were wondering, would you mind telling a little bit about your story? I think a lot of people have heard of at least part of it on your podcast, but why don't we start from scratch for those who might not have heard it? Sure. I actually just had my seven-year brainiversary, um, uh, <laughs> the beginning of February. So in 2014, I was walking down our driveway at my apartment building, and it's a fairly steep incline, but I didn't think much of it. And my little Yorkie had decided it was too cold for her, so I was carrying her in my arm, and I stepped on a patch of black ice. I thought that the driveway was cleared. It looked like everything was fine. Stepped on a patch of black ice, and my feet literally just went out from under me, and because I had Pixie, we think that I kind of like brought both arms to her to protect her and literally landed on the back of my head. And I just, I still can hear the sound of my head making impact with, yeah, with the asphalt. And I immediately knew, like, this isn't good. And my dad had had a significant concussion, I don't know, like maybe 15 years earlier. And I just remember him having horrible, horrible headaches and having to stay in a, in a dark room. Um, he couldn't do anything. And I got up and I was just like, oh my God, my head hurts so bad. And my eyes just weren't focusing on things. And like, I immediately knew it wasn't good, but I had absolutely zero idea how bad (laughs) it was going to be. And what a like, just crazy road it was going to take me down. Was there anybody around when it happened? No, just Pixie. She's she's the only one that knows, like, because clearly I lost consciousness. I didn't think that I had, but you, you know, you wouldn't know because you wouldn't have any concept of it. But when I got up, she was at least like 15 feet away from me and her tail was tucked under and she was shaking. And so she had had enough time to get up and walk away. So we think I was probably out for a minute or two. Um, but like I said, she's the only one that knows. So <laughs> Yeah, she was probably concerned but couldn't do mm, much. <laughs> yeah. I swear, dogs, they know these things. Yeah, they really do. So what happened next? Did you just try and go about your daily business or did you feel immediately like you needed to get checked out? I knew I wasn't okay. I mean, I just, you just know, but I, you know, I couldn't articulate what I thought was wrong. I mean, like the pain in my head was excruciating and I had just moved here like just a few months before I fell. Um, So I wasn't familiar with the area. So I actually went to my computer to look up where, you know, the nearest hospital was and I couldn't even like focus my eyes to read the computer. So I called my neighbor and asked her to come over. I'm like, I think I might have to go to the emergency room. And she had grown up with brothers. (laughs) So she, she was used to uh, concussions. So she got a pack of frozen peas out of my freezer, told me to put it on my head. And she asked me what I had for dinner last night. And I'm like, Oh, like, why the heck are you asking me that? And then she's like, who's our president? And I was like, Bill Clinton, which was like three presidents off, I think, at the time. Um, <laughs> and I was just like, wait a minute. Like, I knew the answer wasn't right, but like, I couldn't think of Obama. I couldn't come up with it. And she's like, ah, you're fine. <laughs> so she laughed a little bit later. And I was like, 
okay. And then another friend called me and her her boyfriend at the time was a chiropractor. And she's like, go see go see him. And chiropractic had always been like my my primary, so to speak. But because I had moved, I didn't have one locally. And so I went to see him and he's like, yep, you have a pretty significant concussion. And then I had like all sorts of torn muscles in my neck and my ab- my abdomen, my chest, like the clavicles and the sternum. My sternum was actually dislocated like by several inches. Um, he was pretty surprised I didn't break my clavicle. So I clearly must have landed on my shoulder as well. But honestly, that didn't even hurt. Like the only thing that hurt was my head. My head just, it was just excruciating. But basically I was told uh, to like do absolutely nothing for two weeks, which now we know is actually not the right answer. But yeah, I just... And I couldn't do anything. I mean, I couldn't think. I couldn't. I could hardly speak. Um, Words were coming out wrong. Uh, It it was so surreal and weird to be in this body. And like, you know that that's not the word you you meant to say, but you hear it come out and you're like, I have no idea why that word came out. (laughs) It's a mystery. Yeah. Um, So... I, if I'm remembering correctly, it took a while for you and your treatment to really help, right? Did it tell us a little bit about yeah. that journey in terms of like fitting the puzzle pieces together? Yeah. So after about two weeks, my chiropractor was like, yeah, you need to see a neurologist. Like something's, yeah. something's pretty not okay here. And I surprisingly got in really quickly with her. And then she basically told me, well, we just have to give this time. There's nothing we can really do for it. We just have to give it time. And at that point, you know, I was only like a month and a half, two months in. So I was like, mm, okay, you know. And I mean, they, they, these are your doctors. We've been taught to trust our doctors, that they know everything. And that's probably the biggest thing I've learned throughout this is that doctors don't know everything. And so I went, she told me to come back in six months if I wasn't feeling better. So I went back in six months. And again, she just told me, give it more time. And at this point, I was telling her, like, there's something wrong with my eyes. Like, I, like... I'm a photographer, so, like, I'm super in tune with my eyes, and something's not right, and I think my eyes are causing my dizziness, and she's like, oh, that's not really possible, which now I know that's 100% (laughs) possible, (laughs) Um, you know, like, hindsight's everything, right? And then I went back again in six months, so that put me at, like, 14, 15 months post-injury, and at that point, she's like, well, you know, this is probably the best you're going to get, there's really not much we can do for you. And I'm just like, what the heck? And (laughs) no, there's zero answers, like no referrals. I, you know, and I begged, I'm like, is there like something I should be doing? Like PT, OT, something. And she's like, well, no. So she sent me for a neuropsych exam. So she sent me to the neuropsych and the neuro-ophthalmologist. And the neuro-ophthalmologist told me, my eyes are fine. It's just a concussion, which I was like, duh, we already know that. And then the neuropsych told me I was just depressed and wanted to put me on Ritalin, antidepressants, and sleeping pills. And I looked at her and said, how is that going to help my brain injury? And she's like, oh, no, you're just depressed. We just need to fix your depression. And I was like, "Mm, no. And so then I just proceeded to like, do whatever I could do for myself. I, um, I, and I was still struggling with all of those like muscular injuries and the, the sternum. And so I sought out my yoga teacher and asked her to help me find poses I could do. Cause I couldn't do anything where I moved my neck cause it would make me dizzy. I'd fall over. I had no balance, but I knew innately that yoga would help me. And so she helped me find five poses. It was literally like cat-cow, mountain pose, holding on to a chair, seated twists, and eagle arms. Those were basically the poses I did. And I did them every day for, you know, I don't know, five, ten minutes, however long it took me to do them. And I really started feeling better. Like, as the months went by, it was like, 
wow, look at this. I'm getting my balance back. I can, I'm getting more mobility, especially in that sternum and rib cage and my shoulders. I was getting more, more mobility back. But it was two and a half years before I discovered functional neurology, which was a complete game changer for me and completely gave me back my life. But it should not take two and a half years to find yeah, it. It's a long time to live with it's something like, that's really difficult. <laughs> It's like the best kept secret and it shouldn't be a secret. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. So I occasionally pop my head onto Reddit and look at the TBI subreddit and the number of people there who are asking questions about brain injuries because they, you know, have asked doctors but haven't felt like they have gotten answers. You shouldn't have to turn to Reddit to, to get answers right. for your brain injury questions. <laughs> the, I promise you there aren't too many doctors lurking on Reddit waiting for those questions. It's a whole lot of us who have been through similar stuff. But it's I think it's just a sign that there's not a whole lot of proactive communication to patients about their options. Um, and I agree that functional neurology is kind of a well-kept secret at the moment. Hopefully yeah. we can get word out a little bit. Yeah. So what happened from there? So I started doing my treatment with functional neurology. And I mean, literally within like three sessions, we really cleared up my eye stuff. The eye stuff is what was causing me to have all this balance problems and the dizziness. And once we cleared that up, it was just like, you're, you know, I equate it to having too many programs open on your computer. <laughs> And, and if you don't close some down, you're none of them run well. And so it was like closing down all the tabs except like one. And so I started to like when your body isn't constantly trying to keep you from falling over, <laughs> it frees up so much energy for it to do other things. And so I continued with my at home exercises and over like the next eight months, maybe, I noticed my memory was improving, my mood was improving, my aphasia was improving. You know, that's not to say that it's all 100% better. But compared to where I was, I'm like 90% better now, you know, and, and honestly, in the last like year and a half, I had another because I think I eventually kind of plateaued after funk neuro. Um, but then in the last year and a half, I've really had another, like, bump in my recovery. And I think that's because I had freed up all that energy. So I was able to get back to working and doing the things I enjoy and doing my advocacy and traveling. And I, and so I think by adding more of that activity back into my life, that also pushed me up to the next level in recovery. It's amazing how having to be so in tune with what your body is doing and what your brain is doing at all times changes the way you operate that many years after a brain injury. I mean, I'm two years out and I'm at the point where like I can tell when I'm starting to fade a little bit mm -hmm. and I need to tune in a little bit and, and take better care of myself. But pre-accident, I never was that person. I was right. always on overdrive. Mm -hmm. We take everything for granted. Like our body just runs. And, you know, like that's how I felt with my eyes stuff. I was like, why can I not focus on things like like I said, I was a photographer. So like my vision was critical to what I did. And I knew something wasn't right. But every eye doctor, every doctor, they just kept telling me my eyes were fine, which technically they were. Structurally, my eyes were fine. The acuity was fine. But the eye tracking, I had nystagmus. I had like these square jerk waves or whatever they're called. <laughs> and like my eyes were constantly moving. Like they had like a little twitch to them. And you know, it's like nobody else saw that. And even the neurologist, you know, like you would think that the neurologist would understand brain injury, but they don't. And, you know, the more I've come to understand, their job is to manage like diseases like Alzheimer's, dementia, MS, uh, Parkinson's. They know nothing. I mean, they know at the very basics of brain injury. And don't get me wrong, you know, the neurosurgeon's going to save your life if you have a brain bleed or a stroke or aneurysm, but then it's just like, okay, bye, you know? So that's why I've become so passionate about what I do is to help people find the right resources because there's, there's, you know, like I have written over 20 some articles on Huffington Post, right? But like 
and that stuff comes up pretty high in search engines, but people still aren't finding it, right? Like, like we go to the internet, like you said, you go to Reddit and like <laughs> people still aren't finding it. It's, it's like, it's just so hidden for whatever reason. And what you do find is like maybe Mayo Clinic or the Cleveland Clinic and you know, it's it's kind of antiquated information that's not helpful. Yeah. How did how did you end up finding functional neurology? How what resources were available to um, you? How did you get there? Actually, the doctor found me. He had written r- written. <laughs> he had <laughs> read my HuffPost pieces, and he reached out to me because he was local to me, and. I, at first I was like, whatever, you know, what makes you think you can help me when nobody else has given me any answers? And, and he, he was a little persistent. And finally I was like, okay, I'm going to go in and have an exam. What, what's there to lose here? Right. And within like two minutes of that exam, he validated everything. He was like, yep, it's your eyes. They're doing this. It's causing this and this and this. And this is how we can combat it. And like I said, within several sessions, I felt years better. Like it was, it was life changing for me. It must have been such a relief. And also, Mm -hmm. Did you have a moment of frustration after three sessions with that much benefit to you where you were like, why the heck did this take so long to find? (laughs) You know, and that's that's seriously, that's what fuels me. It's like we need better resources out there. Like why? And, you know, so most functional neurologists are doctors of chiropractic. They're not MDs. And there is such animosity for whatever reason, MDs don't ever want to refer to DCs. And it's like, why? Like, this stuff Mm -hmm. is proven. It has scientific proof. Like, and when you go back like 100 years, like if you go back before we had MRI and any other forms of imaging, they used the bedside exam. They looked at the eyes. They did all the stuff the funk neuros are doing. But that stuff went away because now they rely on imaging. And imaging is only going to show a brain bleed or a significant injury, such as shearing. So it's those people like us who have what they term a mild TBI, um, which that's a whole other topic. Yeah, um, in my opinion, that's a joke. There's no such thing as a mild TBI. I know. I just the, saw the word that follows mild is traumatic. Like, yes. <laughs> I just saw a meme today that said something like mild is a great term to describe salsa, but not brain injury. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I love it. <laughs> it it's so, um, you know, this just came up at my work in nursing. We were talking about how, you know, years ago, before we had a lot of technology, a lot of stuff relied on the nurse being at the bedside with the patient, huh? continually assessing, continually assessing. But now, because there was such overload in the work, we created technology to take away some of that piece. Yes. On not yes. realizing that you're not really giving the nurse more time. You're just taking away a skill. Um, That's a and really I really f- good point. It's and huge you, in the medical if community you think about right now. It, like, it extends past the medical community too, because mm-hmm. how much technology have we added to our lives in general? Like, how often do you look at your phone and or search Google instead of really thinking about the answer that you're looking for? It's almost like we've crowded technology in and lost our intuition as a result. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. And, you know, and for me, I've always been very in tune with my body. I've always trusted my intuition. And after my brain injury, I felt like I lost that. Like Mm -hmm. it felt broken. And I think, again, it goes back to having too many tabs open on your computer, right? It was just like the one thing the computer had to shut off for me. And now it's completely back and I'm probably even more in tune than before. But I'm thankful that I did have some of that intuition. Like I knew something was wrong with my eyes. I I knew it, even though the doctors kept telling me that they were fine. And, you know, that's that's a big takeaway for anyone listening. Like, you know your body best. Don't ever let a doctor or even a friend or a loved one don't, you know, don't ever let them try to tell you that's not possible or that can't be what's happening. Like I said, the neurologist was like, oh, that's not possible. 
Well, it's completely possible. It's <laughs> it's totally your eyes that can cause balance and dizziness. Like, I mean, once you understand the mechanisms and how it all works, like I do now, it's like, wow, how can a neurologist say that to you? Yeah. Right? And that's a really, really quick way to make your patient feel like they're insane. <laughs> yep. And and same with the neuropsychologist telling me I'm just depressed. And I'm like, but I'm not. I'm like a little depressed, but I'm depressed because I'm not better. Like yeah. it's not like <laughs> it's situational. Yeah. It's not yeah. An yeah. overall. The, yeah. The depression way isn't the cause of the issue. The other things are the cause of the depression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that's rough. I'm curious, would you tell us the story of how you first came to be on HuffPost? Because I think that must have been a little bit mind blowing, no pun intended. I feel like it's <laughs> mind blowing a lot on this podcast. I really don't <laughs> Do that on purpose, but, sure. but yeah, how did how did that come to be? Well, so on my one year anniversary, I pub- well, let me back up just a little bit. So tons of friends drifted away. I mean, they were saying things to me like, it's been six weeks, get over it. It's just a concussion. You should be better by now. It's not like you have cancer. And it really, really, really hurt. These were people I thought would be the first ones to bring me, you know, soup, right? When you're sick. And to be fair, they had been there for me, like when I had a cold or, you know, like, like these inconsequential sicknesses. And so on my one year anniversary, I wrote a blog post kind of as an FU to that group of friends. Kind of, I just really outlined what I had been going through the past year. And a new friend I had made post TBI, she was one of my neighbors in my building. She suggested I submit it to the Huffington Post. And I was like, why? Like, who cares? <laughs> like, like I had just written it for myself, right? Like it was just kind of my therapeutic release. And she's like, I just have a feeling. And so she did all the legwork to figure out how to submit it. And she helped me submit it. And I heard back within two hours that they wanted Whoa. to run it. Yeah, like it was super fast. And I actually heard back from Ariana herself. Um, that was when Whoa. she still when she still owned it. Um That's yeah, amazing. it was a little Speaking of mind it was a little right? mind blowing, yes. <laughs> and so it went live like two or three weeks later, I think. And I was actually speaking at a photography conference that day. And so it had gone live at like four in the afternoon. And I was speaking at this conference that evening and I started my presentation with like, it was actually a mind blowing graphic um, <laughs> and it was like, please excuse my brain. I've, I've had a traumatic brain injury if I forget. And so like, I kind of made fun of it and was like, okay, you right here, you're in charge of telling me when I can't come up with the word, what that <laughs> word's supposed to be. And if I lose my train of thought, it's your job to tell me were what I was trying to talk about. And then I mentioned that my piece had just gone live on HuffPost and the whole room stood up and started clapping. And like, I, it like totally overwhelmed me. Like I was at a photography conference, not anything brain injury related. And it totally overwhelmed me. And I didn't expect that. Like I was just like nonchalantly trying to say I had a HuffPost piece go live. <laughs> so I got back to my room that night at like, I don't know, eight o'clock maybe. And my phone had just blown up with people texting me like, holy crap, did you know you have a HuffPost piece? And like, it like was yeah, just, I didn't miss that. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just like all over Facebook. Like it was just being shared everywhere. And I was like, what the heck just happened? And then it had like, you know, 10,000 likes and then 20 and then 30. And then eventually it had like 50,000 likes. on it. And I'm like, seriously, what just happened? And the people, so because I was a photographer, I was self-employed, it was pretty easy to Google me and find my email. So people were emailing me and then HuffPost lists your Twitter. So people were tweeting me. Um, so tweets and emails and then people found me on Facebook. And I mean, I was just getting hundreds of messages from people like, thanks for writing this. You put into words like what I'm not able to articulate to my family. And I'm like, like, seriously, what just happened? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so then that same friend who told me to submit it, she's like, you need to start a Facebook group. Because I was already pretty savvy. Like, I was teaching other photographers how to market and run their business. So I already had, like, some other Facebook groups. She's like, you already know how to do this. So I think you need to create a Facebook group 
to send these people to, you know, like I can't sit and email 200 people, right? And so that group has grown to almost 10,000 members now. Um, Amy's TBI tribe on Facebook, but it's just been a place like I remember when there was just a couple hundred people in there and I thought that was cool, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it's just, you know, just, it's growing to this place where people just, you know, can ask questions or share frustrations in there. And it's been amazing to me, the repetition of question, like the same thing is asked over Mm -hmm. and over and over And that just tells you that the doctors aren't doing their job. They're not educating the patient. And these, and not everyone is capable of like Googling and going to Reddit after a brain injury, right? Mm -hmm. So I couldn't. Yeah. Like you just physically can't have that. Couldn't look at screens. Yeah. Couldn't read. Yeah. I couldn't either for a while. Yeah. So I I mean, secretly try and do it. And then my husband would. Tell me I was in trouble. Oh, yeah, I'd get in trouble. My (laughs) phone would be taken away. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, like the vision stuff, I would see that over and over. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like my eyes aren't working, but the doctors tell me they're fine. I'm like, yep, yep, here's what you need to do. So it was a huge wake-up call that, like, I mean, what is it? Every nine seconds, someone in the United States has a brain injury. That's millions of people every year, and we're just – They're just falling through the cracks and don't know what to do. Now, granted, Erin and I are still fairly new to the brain injury community by most standards. I mean, I'm two years out. Erin's coming up on a year. But having now been as plugged in as we are to the community, I feel like that HuffPost article was almost like the first effort to bring humanity to brain injury. Having now read your book, Life with a Traumatic Brain Injury, and having seen what you've written, I, I mean, A, there are so many things that have spoken to me as someone who's recovering from a traumatic brain injury, but but also in the wandering I've done on the internet and the looking for resources in the form of books, there's just not a whole lot that predates that. I feel like that was almost like mm-hmm. the first wave of this, which like, you know, is so important because the following waves would never have happened. I feel like this community is starting to be connected more and more, but without that that first like toe in the water, <laughs> who knows where we would be? And and now I feel like there are a lot of folks out there who are pushing and pushing to do more of that. So it's amazing that that happened because I feel like it brought about so much more good as well. So since since the Huff Post article, what else have you been up to? oh gosh it's gonna be a long Um, list i know (laughs) you know though it's interesting what you just said about that and because i feel like we've come so far since seven years ago six years ago when i posted that i feel like now everybody you know there's there's so many podcasts out there there's so many other resources out there there's so many people trying to get it out there so I, you know, I'm like, is that because that's just when I came on the scene, like that I wasn't aware of it before? But I think you're right. I think there just wasn't that much out there pre-2014, right? So it's it's great to see that there is so much more now. And yeah, so since HuffPost, I actually published two books. The first one was, I believe, like the first 14, 15 articles I had written on HuffPost, and I had zero intention of doing a second book. But then I found Funk Neuro, and I actually got better. So I was like, okay, I need to keep writing about this. People need, this is important. This is what people need to know. So that second book is like the next 14 or 15 HuffPost pieces. I have to and say, you know, in your first book, a lot resonated with me. Like I said, there was one article or chapter about how you can help a friend with a traumatic brain injury. And man, I wish I had had that two years ago because I, I have so many people in my life who like meant well and wanted to do good things for me or were like, let's go out and do something as like a way to cheer me up. And I'm like, you don't understand. I'm not functioning. I'm not (laughs) not leaving my bed today. (laughs) And so anyone who is early in the process, I highly recommend going to read it and maybe photocopying it for your friends. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, and people ask me, you know, 
if they can only buy one, which one should they get? And I always refer back to that first one because that's the one I feel survivors are just going to relate to. The second one is much more like what I did and how I got better, um, which is also very important. But I think that first one is so much more validating. And then I've had a lot of like caregivers and loved ones read the first one. And they're like, wow, thank you. Like, this totally helps me understand what my loved one's going through. Because like, if you haven't had a brain injury, there's absolutely no way you can understand a brain injury. It's, it's absolutely surreal. So yeah, so thank you for saying that. Yeah, it's kind of like you need to find your tribe first, then you can get resources mm -hmm. and help, but let's find that commiseration. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I think the word validating, that's, um, yeah. you used that, Amy, that is key to all of that, mm -hmm. is the validation. So, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So when did you start your podcast? I'm curious because you have a billion episodes, so it must have been a while back. And how did that come to be? Yeah, so I'm actually coming up on my 200th episode. Oh my gosh, um, congrats. <laughs> thanks. So I actually had a podcast before with my photography coaching business. So it was a tool that I had. And as my book came out, the first book, so that was about a year and a half into my recovery. Again, that dear friend that helped me, she's like, you should start your podcast again. And I was like, that's actually a really good idea. And so, I mean, I had started podcasting in like 2006, like way before it was cool. Um, <laughs> and even in 2015, it still wasn't what it is today. Like it has exploded. It has. Um, and I was one of maybe two podcasts out there that existed for brain injury. And so it started out with just like my close friends. <laughs> It'd be like, you want me on my podcast? And then it evolved. Like, I mean, I have people reach out to me all the time wanting to be on my podcast. So I have to be kind of, um, what's the word? I have to like be selective because I do, I get a lot of um, like professionals that want to be on it that I don't always necessarily agree with what they're doing what their treatment style is um so i do really try to vet my guests but i have survivors on it i've had pro athletes i've had dr bennett omalu was on my podcast when the movie concussion came out i just had jj virgin on my podcast i mean i've had some really really cool people and then i've had just you know regular survivors i've had like i said pro athletes doctors, other specialists, like I want people to, to see like there are all these people out there that can help us. You know, you don't have to stay in your box of traditional medicine, you know. So that's that's I think the really cool part about a podcast is you can cover so many topics and people can listen to what they want to listen to. You know, like I said, I have 200 podcasts. You can go through and pick and choose what you want to listen to, what looks interesting to you. Yeah. I think that brain injury is such an interesting thing because you can walk by, you know, someone on the street who also has had a brain injury and not recognize that about them. It's so yeah. easy. It's the invisible, you know, scar or injury or whatever you want to call it. But um, somehow the podcasts that have come out that tell the stories of others is at least for me, one of the most helpful things, um, a reminder that you're not alone in what you're going mm -hmm. through. And, you know, I was lucky because Erin had her brain injury about a year after, or what, a year and a half after mine. Yeah. So I at least had someone to talk to about it that I actually knew. But, you know, before that, I did not. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's helpful to, yep. to, to know that the community is out there. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, that's one of the most wonderful things about all of these things that you do, you know, like your brain injury resume is incredible, but they, they all, all of these efforts are sort of, it seems, you know, put toward building community and reminding people that there are resources and people out there that they can talk to and that they're not alone. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So you also have done a fair amount of advocacy work for the brain injury community. Can you speak a little to that? Yeah. So... Going back to that HuffPost piece, and I started that Facebook group. So that was like the end of February 2015. And one of the people that joined my group asked if I was going to go out to Washington, D.C. for Brain Injury Awareness Day. And I was like, huh? What? <laughs> like, I had no idea. <laughs> no idea if something existed. <laughs> yeah. um, and it was only two weeks away. So I was like, 
I have no money. Like, that's not going to work. She's like, well, try doing a GoFundMe. And I was like, well, who's going to, like, give to my GoFundMe? So I did one. And my group, like I said, only had a couple hundred people. They raised, I think, like $2,000 for me to fly out there to go to that first Brain Injury Awareness Day on Capitol Hill. And I was pretty much hooked. (laughs) So I went out for Brain Injury Awareness Day, met with my legislators. And then I came home and looked up because out there I was told each state has a chapter. So I looked up my Minnesota chapter and I became involved with them. They have what they call their citizen advocates, which do Tuesdays at the Capitol here in Minnesota. So during session, every Tuesday they meet at the Capitol. This year, obviously, we're having to do virtually, but we meet with our legislators. Every year we have a a theme or two that we're trying to get past. Like we had the hands-free cell phone bill went through a couple years ago and um, an act to get your emergency contact on your driver's license. So if you're in a car accident and you're unable to talk, they can scan your driver's license and find your emergency contact. It's like, why don't we already have that? That was my first idea. We're one of the first states to have it. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. like, there's, I guess there's all sorts of privacy laws with it. And so, yeah. Mm. And then I also went out to DC. So every year I've gone out for brain awareness day. And then I went out in, would that have been 2017 um, when they were trying to repeal the ACA. So I went out to help lobby um, for healthcare because that was really important to me because since my brain injury, I've been on the ACA and very thankful because it's helped cover all my medical bills. And so I went out to lobby for that. And that was super rewarding to be a part of that. And it's really weird. Not like right now I should be gearing up to go out to DC for brain injury day. But it's really kind of weird to not be doing that this year. And last year, literally the world shut down like two weeks <laughs> after yeah, brain injury day. Yeah. <laughs> so it was yeah. like perfect timing last year. Yeah. What would you say to someone who is trying to figure out how they can help out with advocacy or speak for the community and help, you know, get laws passed or acts passed that are mm-hmm. um, beneficial to the community? Yeah. You know. I see a lot of people trying to recreate the wheel and they're just wasting a ton of energy trying to create things that already exist. So don't do that. (laughs) Save your energy. Connect with your local brain injury association or alliance. You know, keep in mind that many of these groups run with like one or two employees. Um, So have some compassion there if they don't get back to you right away. But almost every state does some sort of political advocacy. I know like North Dakota, they're doing some amazing things up in North Dakota. If you can't get through at your state level, reach out to the Brain Injury Association of America, BIAUSA.org, and, you know, get connected through them. You know, also like everybody has such great intentions that they want to do all these things and they see me doing so many things. And you have to know your own limitations. You're still recovering. And don't compare your recovery to somebody else's recovery. Like, oh, look at Amy. Look at all she's doing. I want to do all that. But then you can't, right? And then you get upset that you weren't able to do what you set out to do. Like, like take baby steps, right? Like, maybe the first thing you do is simply write down your story and publish it on your own personal blog like I did, right? Or maybe you're a guest on a podcast or, you know, there's so many little baby steps you can take. Don't think you have to do all these things because you don't have to. You just have to do one little thing. Just share your story with somebody, you know, share it with a complete stranger. Like you just, you don't know what that ripple effect could be from sharing with one person. I'm amazed at the amount of people I just meet randomly. Oh, my brother or my cousin or my uncle had a brain injury, right? Like it's a small world in some ways. So just share your story and really be mindful of your energy reserves and your, you know, I've I've had a lot of people reach out to volunteer for me, which is great, but then I give them a task and they can't do it. And then, you know, then they feel bad and then 
I'm a little frustrated because I thought they were going to do it for me, you know, and like just understanding that you have limitations and being okay with that. I know that was hard for me to come to terms with in the beginning because I was used to going at, you know, Mach 10. And then now I'm like, (laughs) and you're going at like two miles an hour. But I've had to learn how I think we were kind of talking about this at the beginning, just the whole like understanding your energy and like, okay, I only have this amount of energy. And when I feel it starting to fade, I know I only have a limited amount of time before I'm done. Because I go from like half full to empty in like, you know, 10 minutes, yeah. um, it seems like. Same here. Yeah. And yeah, I'm so I get glad. that. I'm, I like get home from work and my husband's like, do you have a dinner plan? I'm like, yeah, I totally got a dinner plan. And then 10 minutes later, I'm like, no, I'm too tired for my dinner plan. Like it's mm-hmm. just, yep. he's always like, well, tell me sooner. And I'm like, I can't, it just happens. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Yep. And yeah. I had to learn how to have like appropriate food in the house because like I would, I'd have a dinner plan and then be like, nope. It's going to be peanut butter and jelly tonight. Not cooking dinner tonight. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's that yeah. whole mindfulness approach that you really have to have through your whole recovery. Just because maybe you're through like that acute phase of your brain injury mm-hmm. doesn't mean you throw all that aside because you're never not going to yeah. be able to function without mindfulness anymore. At least yeah. that's how I'm experiencing. I know I'm not that far out, but I think this is just no, the way it's, it's going to be now. It's a good point. I mean, I think there's this, you know, like flip side of the recovery journey where, you know, I was thinking about this listening to you, Amy, talk about like being gentle with yourself and like being okay with your limitations. But then it's easy to forget about all that when you're a little further out from your brain injury. Mm -hmm. And like sometimes I catch myself in moments where I'm like, maybe I've graduated from this. Maybe this is behind me, you know? Um, and then I like, will have a day where I'm just having a brain fog day and I'm like, okay, no, I'm still in it. Or a good example, my children's daycare is in like a community building in our area. And there is a day program for people with traumatic brain injuries in the building. And I walk by them every day that I'm you know, picking my kids up and many have, you know, physical mobility issues or speech issues. And it's easy to see that and say, well, I guess I'm not a part of that community anymore, or I've moved past it, or maybe my brain injury wasn't really so bad. You know, like, I think it's easy to to have imposter syndrome too, you know, like, because maybe your story is very different. Um, and I think that it's maybe, discouraging to hear for some people I'm okay with it but like I think no matter how far you get from your brain injury you're still a part of the community oh yeah (laughs) um yeah it's it's not like you necessarily graduate you just get a little further from the start I guess yeah yeah, and I I meet a lot of people who who tell me yeah I had a brain injury but I'm fine now I don't talk about it anymore and I'm like but you're doing such a disservice like yeah you know you're you're covering it up like well, and it's nice you for have people to see what can come, you know. Yeah, yeah. There is a road beyond just that initial phase. And I'm so happy you brought up the Brain Injury Association. If you hadn't, I was going to, because for me, that's been such a nice sort of resource. You know, I, I knew from my work in nursing that that was out there and that I should give them a call and just see what's available. And they're immediately like, make sure you get a speech therapist. You need a speech therapist for your cognition therapy. And like, they were the ones that really turned me on the right path of where to go to get help. So I'm glad that you have a similar experience and that you're able to see work through um, Mm -hmm. the associations and the advocacy that they do do. Yeah. And, and, you know, like I said, so many people want to recreate the wheel. And mm-hmm. and I know it's because they don't know about the other resources, mm-hmm. right? Or they've had a poor experience um, with their state association, which unfortunately I hear that a lot. And it goes back to, look, they have one or two employees, yeah. right? And like, 
a hundred thousand people with brain injury in their community and growing um, and growing. And, you yeah. know, I get it. I get the frustration on both sides of that, but we don't need to recreate the wheel. We just need to join the wheel. We just need to get on the already moving wheel, even if it's moving very slowly, you know, reach out to someone that you would like to, to, you know, work with, or, you know, there, there's just so many ways to get involved without having to recreate it. Cause the recreation is going to take so much energy. And, you know, I feel like what I did, you know, going back to, there just wasn't much out there yet. I literally was creating a wheel, but that's because I had to. And even me, I didn't know until over a year into my, my recovery about the BIA. And then I didn't know about the state until I found the BIA, you know, so and, and just, you know, understanding your limitations and that energy and how to conserve it. You know, people see me and they're like, you do so much. How do you do it all? And it's like you only see the highlight reel. Like, you know, you only see what's on Facebook or my Instagram. You don't see me in bed Like, I literally go to bed at nine at night and get up at seven in the morning, right? Like, what is that? Like 10 hours in bed every day. I often have to take a nap. Um, I don't work from nine to five. I work from maybe 10 to two. Um, It just depends on the day. And if I'm traveling, I build in recovery days on my trips. Like, Mm -hmm. I know that I'm going to need them, you know, so... I mean, I've learned how to manage my um, energy. I mean, even like like I said, I'm I'm at a way further stage in my recovery now. But even three years ago, I had to know how to manage my energy and my my workload. And some people might take a lot longer to get there. And again, don't compare your recovery to somebody else's because no two are the same. No two injuries are the same. No two recoveries are the same. And I think that's probably the most frustrating part of the whole thing. And I think that's why doctors do get frustrated because, like, you can see one patient, you know, and going back to imposter syndrome, like, I had a little bit of, like, I was like, why am I the one out here speaking? My injury was, like, relatively mild, right? Like I wasn't hospitalized. I didn't have surgery. I didn't have to have a craniotomy. I actually felt kind of guilty being the person on stage speaking at a conference. But then somebody pointed out to me, well, you can get on stage and speak. You are capable of doing this. A lot of other people can't. They don't have the energy. They don't have the ability to form thoughts or, you know, I would say remember thoughts, but that's what my PowerPoint's for because I can't remember my thoughts either. <laughs> but, you know, so don't don't judge your recovery. Don't compare it to somebody else's. You'll get there one day. I love that point of it really is a community and this is where we can lean on each other is some person has a strength, another has a weakness, and we're able to kind of help Mm -hmm. each other through that. You know, if you can't do one thing, someone else can. So that's why this kind of joining together is so important. Yeah, I think Mm -hmm. that's really important. And I I love what you're saying, Amy, about not recreating the wheel, because I think it's easy for us to think we're in these recoveries by ourselves because often we're disconnected from others. But the reality is we do have strength in numbers. There are so many of us. It's just a matter of uniting under, you know, one cause. So it's nice to hear your advice about, you know, connecting with the Brain Injury Association in your state and finding a way to support them. Because you're right, as nonprofits, there's, you know, a very high, <laughs> high likelihood that they are understaffed, underfunded, and yeah. could use any form of support from those of us out there who can give it. So, yeah. Yeah. I will put that on my to-do list, actually, after this conversation. <laughs> Thank you for the inspiration to do it. So, Amy, I know you have some events coming up with March being Brain Injury Awareness Month. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. So um, March 16th, which is actually my birthday. I picked my birthday because why not? Um, So March 16th, I am having a virtual brain injury awareness day because obviously we can't go out to D.C. this year. So I'm having a not invisible brain injury awareness day event. It's totally free. We have about 30 speakers lined up. I also have some of the cast from Quiet Explosions, which is a movie available on Amazon that documents, I believe there's seven uh, brain injury survivors that they document in the movie. So we will have a Q&A with them during the day as well. Um, you can register for that at facesoftbi.com slash event. Um, and again, it's totally free. It'll be streaming on Zoom and my Facebook page. And then March 22nd is the launch of season two of my concussion discussions video series. So it's a week long event. Each day we release a couple of videos. There's 20 videos in total with doctors in that that work in the TBI world, the professionals who are helping other survivors like us find their way through these murky waters of TBI. So again, that's another free event. That's you can register for that at concussiondiscussions.com. Awesome. And, and I've already we- signed up for your Not Invisible event. I'm actually really excited and was super excited because I saw Holly Kostreski is one of your speakers. Oh, yeah. So we're also Holly, Holly. Holly fans over here. Yep. She's wonderful. So, Total <laughs> you know, how many shoutouts has Holly gotten on this podcast? <laughs> she only lives about two hours from me. And uh-huh. we have crossed paths like within minutes of each other at events, but we've never actually <laughs> met in person. It's crazy. Wow. Someday when we can all be together, I feel like there yeah. needs to be a reunion of, of brain injury folks, honestly. But watch um, out. How would yeah. people best connect <laughs> you, right? <laughs> How would people best connect with you on Instagram and Facebook? Where can we find you? Yeah. So Instagram and Facebook, it's at Amy Zelmer. And then I also have Faces of TBI, my page on Facebook. Yeah. I highly recommend. I mean, obviously. Amy does so, so much. There's so many resources there and so much good information. And I noticed that you're also putting a lot of yoga out there now. I mean, I feel like so many things that if you don't find something in Amy's repertoire that helps you, then I don't know what to do. (laughs) (laughs) She has a lot. (laughs) I've got a lot of resources for you. That's one thing I really tried to be very conscientious of was, so it started out with HuffPost with with written pieces and then my podcast, which was audio. And then I started doing video because I'm like, everybody has a different way of comprehending after brain injury. Some people can't read. Some people can't hand a mo- handle a moving screen. So I really tried to target the different ways of inputting information. That was a very conscientious effort on my part um, to try and create different ways for people to digest information. It makes sense. We really do all process differently after a brain injury. Yeah. yeah. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us today, Amy. Again, we totally fangirled on this one. (laughs) Yeah. And thank thank you so much for all you do for this community. We are lucky to have you in our ranks. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been just awesome being here with you guys. Thanks. So this is Erin signing out with my co-host Mariah for Making Headway Podcast. Be sure to join us next week. Thanks for joining us on the Making Headway Podcast. For more information and show notes, visit makingheadwaypodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform and leave us a review. Check us out at Making Headway Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and share with your friends. Catch you next time. All topics are intended to be used for educational and entertainment purposes only. The podcast is not to be used as a substitute for medical advice. Always consult with your healthcare provider for any issues or treatment considerations you may have. For our full legal terms, please see our website at makingheadwaypodcast.com. This podcast was recorded, mixed, and mastered with love at Stout Heart Studios. Sun rises across the ocean. 